first scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's and his offering, but not on Cain and his offering. He did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The second reading is from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, so I have come down to rescue them. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. At LMCC, we have a tradition. Two weeks at the end of the year, every year we talk about giving, about financial giving, giving a portion of your money back to God. And I have never made any attempt to hide the fact that I love these two weeks. I look forward to them all year long. Uh, they're, they're two of my favorite, if not my two favorite weeks of the year. And I was thinking about why that is this week. Why do, why do I love this topic so much and I realized that, that one of the reasons for it is the, uh, the intimacy of it. I never feel closer to you as a congregation than when we're talking about this subject. Because all of a sudden when you start talking about money, everybody's paying attention. And when we, we talk about this subject, what, what I get from you that I crave, that I'm looking for all year round, and I get it in a, in a new way, in a different way during this discussion is the, the pushback, the objections. You know, I get more emails, more questions, more I didn't agree with this, more arguments. And what it is, is it's not just a discussion, it's a, it's a wrestling match. It feels like this wrestling match that we do every year, and I feel so close to you during it. You know, God comes and wrestles with Jacob because he wants to be close to Jacob. I wrestle with my girls for the exact same reason. And I love the wrestling match. I love the, the intimacy of it. So we're, we're going to do it again this year. I'm bringing all of my energy to, to the match, and I hope that you are too. 
Uh, one disclaimer that I give every year, which is just if you're new to the church, if you don't come regularly, this isn't for you. You know, you're like, I don't want to wrestle with you. I've never met you before. <laughs> fair. Uh, very fair. So, you know, th- this is for regulars. This is for people who are in a committed relationship with God and in a committed relationship with this church. People who know what they believe. If you're on the fence, if you don't know what you believe, if you're checking things out, this, you're just eavesdropping on this conversation. So this morning in week one, uh, three points. Three points about giving, three pointers really. There are, there are directives, imperatives. First, give a gift to God. Second, figure out which God to give to. And third, give him what he asks. Give a gift to God. Figure out which God to give to. And give him what he asks. Those will be the three sections to this morning's sermon. So first, give a gift to God. One of the things that amazes me about this subject is uh, I've preached on it almost more than any other real specific subject because we do it every year for two weeks. And I, I am amazed by the way that it continues to be fresh for me, that there's always something new. As I'm studying, there's always some new angle that captivates me. And this year, the, the new angle, the new perspective that, that I became captivated with and enamored with is uh, the ancientness and the primitiveness and the tribalness and the earthiness and the universal humanness of giving an offering to the creator. Ask any anthropologist, any sociologist, there has never been in the history of the world a culture, a traditional culture, that didn't do this, that didn't give offerings to the creator, however the creator was understood in that culture. And what I love about doing our offering at the end of the year is because that's the traditional time to do it. It connects us to the long human history of this. You know, this is when you give the offering. At the end of the year, after the harvest, you take a portion of the harvest, you know, your crop or whatever it is, you put it on the altar and you just burn it up. You just burn it up. You just waste it to say thank you to the creator. That first passage that you heard read this morning, the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4, note the reference there, Genesis chapter 4. So this is first book of the Bible, very early chapters. This is the third story in the entire Bible. And the third story in the whole Bible is about an offering, which tells us something. You know, we think that uh, I, we get all these biblical characters jumbled together in our minds. And we think they kind of all knew the same stuff about God. So Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and Peter, Paul, and Mary, and all the rest, you know, we think that they all kind of like had the full picture. And that's just not true at all. These people in the book of Genesis, they're in the book of Genesis. So they didn't have the book of Genesis. They didn't have the Bible. This is pre-scripture. This is pre-theology. They didn't have any prophets. But there was something that they knew. There was something that they knew that they didn't need any priest or rabbi or imam to tell them, which was that They were the creatures, and there was a creator, and they were supposed to give gifts to the creator. That's what we are, creatures, or critters, if you prefer the slang. We're we're things that have been made, things that have been created. And all people, all humans from the beginning of time just know this instinctively that you're supposed to give something back to the God who gave you what you have. It's easier to forget this now because we no longer live in an agrarian society. You know, because we now uh, just get paid with 
uh, numbers. You know, it's just a number on a screen. It's not even like money. It's not even a check. It's just numbers going up on a screen. We think it's just this purely human thing and that God has nothing to do with it. And you think that because you worked for your paycheck, you earned your paycheck. And you may have worked for it, but you didn't earn it. The farmer works for the harvest. The farmer doesn't earn the harvest. The harvest just comes. And farmers work incredibly hard. You know, this again, we, we, when we were all in this agrarian society, it was very easy to understand where things were coming from. Because even though you worked really hard, even though farmers work really hard, work harder than most of us probably, let's just, not to take anything away from farmers, but let's just consider the whole timeline of events, you know, of food being produced. Where is the real work happening here? Because on day one, the farmer takes a seed and drops it in the ground. Then on day 150, the farmer harvests the, the plant that comes up out of the ground. So we'll give all the credit to the farmer for those two things, planting the seed and harvesting. A lot of work. But what about that small little part from day two to day 149 when somebody took a seed and turned it into a plant that's taller than the farmer is? Because what I want to know is who did that? Who did that? And can't we all agree that that's where most of the work is happening in this whole production of a crop? And we take it for granted because, you know, we've all seen it so many times. But imagine if you were like a, a, a cynical kid, like a 13-year-old, cynical, hard-headed kid that had never seen a harvest before. Your first year on a farm. And you say to your dad, Dad, what's, what's your plan to provide for us this year for, for food for our family? And your dad says, well, so I'll tell you the plan. I'm going to uh, see this, this kernel of corn here. I take this kernel of corn. Got a few of them, actually. I'm going to uh, stick them in the ground and bury them. Long pause. And the kid says, okay, well, what are you going to do next? What's the next thing you're going to do? And the dad says, do? I'm not going to do anything. We just wait. We just wait for the rain to fall and wait for the sun to shine. And son, I'll tell you what, if we wait long enough, that one kernel will pop up out of the ground as a million kernels and it'll be enough to feed our whole family. And the son would say, I think I'm going to go try to find another family. <laughs> because that's crazy. That sounds absolutely crazy. It sounds like magic. It sounds like a miracle, which of course it is. Which is why every single human being that has ever seen this happen since the beginning of time Every human being that has ever dropped one kernel into the ground and seen it pop back up as a million kernels has said, without exception, I don't know much, but I do know one thing, which is I did not make that happen. And so I better say thank you to the person who did, because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have any food. And it's no different. Just because we're not farmers, it's no different. For one thing, you know, we still can't even make food for ourselves. It's 2017. Every single food we've ever tried to create in a lab has one thing in common, which is that it's lethal. We can't even feed ourselves in 2017. We still have to wait for God to do this miracle and make food pop up out of the ground. But even apart from eating, which, by the way, is the whole point of working, you know, to put food on the table. Even apart from that, just... Your work, all your work that you do, and you feel like you work so hard, and you've earned all this wealth, all this money, you've earned it. 
all of your work is, is nothing but that seed. It's just that tiny seed that you drop into the ground. And it wouldn't do anything. It would not produce anything were it not for these macro environmental factors, for the family that God put you in, for the intelligence that he gave you, for the work ethic that he gave you, for him putting you in this time and this place in history. If you think your work is the main variable that's producing this wealth, let's just, let's just try this. What if you'd been born on a mountain in Tibet in the 13th century? You can work as hard as you want, and you're not going to generate any wealth. I get that you've worked. I get that. But it's a seed. And there's all this rain and sunshine and soil, and that's where the real work is happening. That's what really produced a crop. And so when you give, when you give a gift to God, you join in this universal human tradition of saying, I didn't make myself. And just to kind of put a a more uh, combative point on it, if you don't do that, if you don't give to God, what you're claiming is, I did it all by myself. That's what you're saying implicitly. It's like somebody who would win an Academy Award and would get up there and say, you know, I don't really have anybody to thank. I, I did it all by myself. That's what you do when you don't give back to God. That's the first point this morning. Give a gift to God. All human beings have always done this. It's a basic human urge like sex or eating or sleeping. Just give in. Give a gift to your creator. That's the first thing. Secondly, this morning, figure out which God to give to. First, give a gift to God. Second, figure out which God to give to. So once people decide on that they're going to give something back to God, the next place they go is they think, well, how do I give? You know, how, how much should I give? You know, so I, I'm not going to uh, burn crops on an altar, you know, so, so logistically, how do I give? And that one's pretty straightforward. Obviously, now money represents all of that wealth. So you, you, you give money. But then there's this question, well, how much? How much do I give? And that question, most people ask it out of order. It's usually the wrong question to, to start with, how much do I give? The question you got to ask first, far before you ask how much do I give, is, well, which God am I going to give to? And you say, what do you mean, which God am I going to give to? Isn't there only one? But not historically. You know, we're talking about all the things that, that all these ancient cultures have in common. They all gave offerings. But they also all believe, with, with one exception, which we'll talk about in a second, all ancient cultures believe that there were many gods. And so what you do is you have to give your offerings to all of the different gods that were responsible of, for all the different aspects of your life. You know, if you want your crops to grow, you got to give an offering to the sun god and the rain god. If you want a baby, you got to give an offering to the fertility god and, and so forth. And, of course, you know, in terms of the logistics, it was very straightforward. You just made an idol of your god. You carved a statue, and you'd go, and you'd, you'd, you'd make the gift in front of the, the idol, the statue. Every single ancient culture agreed upon this, this pantheon of gods. They didn't agree on what the gods were, but they all agreed there were lots of them, except for one culture, the ancient Israelites, who so strangely said there's only one God. Not only did they say there's only one God, they said there's only one God, we can't really utter his name, and we don't know what he looks like. And it's impossible for us to understand how weird that was, you know, think about the first three of the Ten Commandments. They make no sense unless you remember polytheism. 
Because the first three of the Ten Commandments are, I'm the only God, don't draw a picture of me, and don't speak my name. Those are, if you're going to only have ten rules, it's kind of weird to start with those three. But though, that's, that's what differentiates this God from every other God around. Where am I going with this? Some of you are wondering, where, where is he going with this? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> when we talk about giving at this church, we're talking about giving to a very specific God. We're talking about giving to the God of the Bible. We're talking about giving to the God of Genesis, the God of uh, the Ten Commandments, the God who came to earth as Jesus Christ at Christmas time. That specific God, over and against whoever else you might give to, you know, so given to the universe for good karma, or given to charity, or given to the poor, or even giving to the church. You know, you, you, you give money to God by giving through the poor, or giving through your church. But ultimately, that's not what we're talking about in these two weeks. We're not talking about giving to the church. Ultimately, we're talking about giving to God, this God, the God of the Bible. So if you want to give to anybody else, I don't really know what to tell you, because I haven't really studied any of those other gods and quite honestly, not to be mean, but I think they're all made up. I think that some Egyptian dude was just sitting around one day doodling and said, here's Ra. We're going to call this guy Ra. And they made a statue of him. I think some guy in ancient Greece just made up Zeus. I think he just made him up. I just, thunderbolt and boom, Zeus was born. But I do not think that an ancient Israelite named Moses, just made up this story about this God that came and spoke to him from a burning bush. Why? Because in the story, as Moses tells it, you heard it read earlier, Moses asked the question that anybody at that time would have asked, which is, okay, Mr. Deity, you want me to go on this mission to the Israelites? The first question they're going to ask me is, which God sent you. Out of all the thousands of gods, which God sent you? What's his name? And in the story that, that Moses tells, the God says back to him, okay, you want a name? You want to tell the people a name? Why don't you tell them that I am sent you? And I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. I don't believe that there could have possibly been a guy with the brilliance, and for that matter, the balls to say, we don't need multiple gods. We've only got one, and we don't have a picture of him, and he doesn't have a name. That's an embarrassment. You wouldn't say that unless it was true. And the other thing that I can't make sense of is how that one deity from that tiny tribe of slaves has wiped the floor with every other deity over the last 4,000 years. Because everybody worshipped the Egyptian gods until they started worshipping the god of the Israelites instead. Everybody in ancient Rome, the most powerful empire on earth, worshipped the gods of the Greek pantheon until the god of the Bible made them all extinct. You could tell the entire history of the world as just the history of one god stealing market share from other deities and those other deities going out of business. They're just all in the dustbin of history. And so when I look at that, my own personal belief, not as a, an article of faith, but just as a matter of probability, as a matter of logic, is that it's, it's more plausible that that story is true and that, that God just really did show up to a guy named Moses 
in a burning bush. That's more plausible. That's more believable. And that the Bible really is his word than to say that it's all made up and somehow this one made up story beat all the others by this large margin. That's my belief. That's my, my estimation of things. And you have to decide for yourself. You have to make your own decision about it. But that decision about who is God and is the Bible really his word, that decision has to come way before you start talking about how do I give to him and how much do I give to him. So that's the second section of the sermon. Figure out which God you're going to give to. Third and finally this morning, first, give God a gift. Second, figure out which God you're going to give to. Third and lastly, give him what he asks. If you're going to give to this God and you believe he is the God, then just give him what he asks. You know, when you give somebody a gift, you want to give the gift based on the recipient. It's a good gift or not a good gift based on the person, based on what you know about them. You want to give them something they're going to like. Unless you're one of those really bad gift givers that just gives everybody what you like. You know, everybody knows somebody like this where, you know, it doesn't matter what the person asks for. Well, I think they'd really like this. Well, don't do that with God. Don't give him what you think he should want. Just give him what he asked for. You say, well, what does he ask for? Well, we talked about this last year. We're going to talk about it again this year. It's very clear in Scripture. And what he asked for is he asked for at least the first 10% of everything. There's four terms there. At least the first 10% of everything. The only one of those that's self-explanatory is 10%. That's pretty clear. Just multiply by 0.1. But the other three require a little bit of expansion. So uh, at least, the, the first term, at least the first 10% of everything. What the Bible makes clear is that, you know, as you become more committed in your relationship with God, as your faith grows, you actually get more than 10%. But 10% is the floor. 10% is where it starts. You know, people will say sometimes, well, this, this standard of giving 10%, that's an Old Testament thing. That doesn't ever appear in the New Testament. Which, by the way, it's amazing how this topic has the tendency to turn people into Bible scholars, where before they, they had no interest, then all of a sudden they're like scanning articles in the deep web trying to figure out some like theory of interpretation. Uh, well, okay, so if that's your view, you know, that the, the 10% is an Old Testament standard. It doesn't say that in the New Testament. That's fine. I agree with you as long as you're giving more than 10%. Every Old Testament standard is amplified. The bar is raised in the New Testament. Jesus says... Uh, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I say, don't get angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. It's the same thing with giving. He asks the rich young ruler not to give 10%, to give 100%. He praises the widow not for giving 10%, for giving 100%. With Zacchaeus, he praises Zacchaeus not for giving 10%, for giving 50%. So, sure, if you want to go higher than 10%, fine. But what's clear is that 10% is the floor. 10% is what God Ask for, at least. So if you've never given 10% before, I think it's a great place to start. I, you know, I don't think you need to start higher than that. But it is the place you start from. You don't start it at 1 and grow to 10. You start at 10. So that's the, the first term. At least. And then the next term, the first. At least the first 10% of everything. Not, not 10% after taxes. Not 10% after your retirement contribution. Not 10% after rent. The first 10%. And this is why the question of who you're giving to has to take priority over the question of how much to give. 
Because if, if you really believe you're giving to the God who made heaven and earth, are you really going to try to get creative with your bookkeeping to give him less? It doesn't make any sense if that's who you really think you're giving to. The first 10%. At least the first 10% and then the last term of everything. 10% of everything. So not just 10% of your regular paycheck, 10% of anything that comes in. Any contract work, any bonus, any inheritance, any assets that you would acquire, 10% of everything. You know, people say, well, I want to hold on to the asset so that it appreciates so that I can give more. Well, nobody cares. You know, God certainly doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your heart on the day your asset appreciates. He wants your heart now. It's like people that say, well, I'm going to give you know, the, the church or this charity, I'm going to give them a lot of money when I die. It amazes me that people expect credit for this. You're dead. You are dead. God had to pry it from your cold, dead hands. You had no choice. And you expect that to count as giving? That's not giving. God wants you to choose him while you still have a choice. He wants you to choose him while your heart is still beating. 10% of everything now, and I want to say something that I felt like I was supposed to say last year, and I just didn't have the guts to say it. And so it's taken me a whole year to get up the courage to say this. And what I want to say is if, if you're giving to the God of the Bible, don't give him less than he asks. Just don't. Don't do it. And we're going to do this offering in a couple of weeks, and you can do a couple of things. One, if you, if you haven't given it all this year, you can give a gift at the end of the year, kind of catch up for the, for the last year. The other thing you can do is you make a pledge. We're going to have these pledge cards, and you make a pledge about the giving you're going to do in 2018. Over the next 12 months, this is how much I'm going to give. And what I'm saying is when you write that number on the card, do not let it be one penny less than the first 10% of everything. And if you do want to give less than that, if, if you want to give 1% or, or 2% or 3%, that's fine. Just don't give it to this church. Give it to the Red Cross. Give it to an art museum. Give it to Wikipedia for all I care. Give it to whoever you want. But don't give it to God because God doesn't want it. And you say, well, I think God will understand. You know what I think? I think he won't. I think he won't understand. That's what you see with Cain and the offering. Cain half-asses it. He, he gives a gift as a token gift. He gives a gift because you're supposed to give a gift. And God doesn't say, well, this is good enough for now. He says, try again. I don't want this. What, what, Cain, what is this? I don't want this. And you say, yeah, but God sees my heart. Exactly. That's the problem. God sees your heart. And he knows the reason you're holding back is because you don't Trust him, because you kind of a little bit think he's the guy that made you, but, but maybe you're not sure, so you're going to hedge a little bit. And I'm just saying, this year, don't do that. I would rather you give nothing at all. You know, just do it or don't. It's like Yoda. There is no try. Do or, or do not. Just, just give or don't. The, the most miserable people on earth, you know, you see in this passage, Cain is miserable. He's just miserable. God comes to him gently and says, look how miserable you are. The most miserable people on earth are not atheists. I know plenty of very happy atheists. The most miserable people on earth 
are people who say they believe in God, but don't act like it. And what I'm saying is don't get caught in the middle. Just decide. Just decide what you believe and either give God what he asks or don't. Let's pray. Father, you know how hard it is for us to trust you. You say you'll take care of us. You say you'll provide for us. We know that you made us. We know that it all comes from you. And yet, when it comes to actually letting go of our money, all of a sudden, all these doubts rush in. I ask that over the next couple of weeks, you would give us a sense of who you are, a sense of your power, a sense of your majesty, a sense of your love. I ask that through giving, you would help us to to put things right in our lives again, to put you back on the throne, and to admit that we're just creatures, and you're the God that made us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.